Dylan Blake, finally back with Pax Podcastia. Probably changing the name to Pax Podcasta. However you say that A-E letter, you know the one. Pax Podcasta. <laughs> yeah, that's a better one. Today we're talking about the Gospel of John, the so-called, the, the first half or so, which is the so-called Book of Signs. This and the second the half is called? The Book of Glory. Yes. Yeah. So this is probably my favorite book in the Bible. It, needless to say, it also has my favorite chapter as well, which we'll get into today, which is chapter nine. Perfect. Yeah, what's some more context? Uh, yeah, we haven't done this in a while. Yeah, we're uh, back after a hiatus, but <laughs> hoping to do this more routinely and kind of get in a groove for sure. I was the one that was the slacker, not Will. I will take the blame. <laughs> I mean, I think we were both like had stuff going on. So yeah, um, it's been a busy year. But uh, but I, th- I thought it would be nice to like, we're, we've been talking about doing a podcast, this podcast for a while. Um, just like, oh, we should do one on John. Yeah. You know, why not? It's, uh, it's iconic. Well, definitely. Like, well, what's the single, what's the single most known bible quote in yeah. the world yep and people might not even know the quote but they know the name of the passage <laughs> yeah john three sixteen. john three sixteen. <laughs> yep which we should touch on oh definitely i guess let, let's start with um like what's your i kind of mentioned my favorite passages briefly but what are some of your like favorite parts or like things that really speak to you personally well, I think it's a common theme running through John. It it focuses a lot on the miracles. At least uh-huh. the book of signs does focuses a lot. I mean, it's the book of signs, right? So it's the, <laughs> I think that's what it's referring to. The signs are the miracles. So it does, fo- it tends to focus a lot on like the miracles and what happened. And almost every single time there is a miracle performed, the people witnessing will say something to like uh, the effect of like, oh, it's, you know, it's so great. Right. And then Jesus will say something to the effect of like, I did this like, to prove it to you that's the only reason i really did this and like to yeah. glorify god like i didn't want i didn't really care <laughs> or like not that he didn't care but it's like the point of these miracles was just to show people that it was true like he was doing it for our benefit for like the witnesses benefit yeah more yeah, often than not and you don't see that too much in the synoptics it's usually it's usually the opposite in the synoptics it seems like like oh you perverse and faithless generation right how long do i have to be with you and like basically tolerate you always asking me for signs and so we see this shift uh, there is there is some of that like you know like like there is some of that where jesus is like leave me and then the guy goes home and his son is cured you know leave me your son (laughs) your son lives like he saves you know that guy and then everyone in that man's house it says is a believer but it was not, he didn't do it for the crowd in that situation. It was just like, just yeah. go. He's cured. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's fine. <laughs> just go home. But there is definitely in the first few chapters, there is a, a what's the right word? Reticence, like some kind of reluctance of Jesus to uh, manifest himself to the world, I guess. Like, you know, you see that in the um, wedding in Cana of Galilee. Mm-hmm. His mom is like, Mary. Know, yeah, Mary is just like, oh, they have the wine. Mm-hmm. And he's like, so? Like, it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know which passage? Do you know which passage that is exactly, by the way? Two, it would be the beginning of two. Should we read that? Yeah, uh, John 2 5. His mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. 
I thought that was yeah. very important, very important verse. Oh yeah, yeah. Mary yeah, commanding, yeah. basically Mary commanding humanity. Whatever he says to you, do it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of um. I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but uh, there's a lot of like subtle irony. Sometimes not so subtle, but subtle irony and like the whole book or like different parts of the book. Like I'll oh, just I... give a brief example. Yeah, um, please. Like what is he going to kill himself is that why he says he you know to where i go can it come and it's like it's kind of like that like god is killing himself kind of but like not really but not <laughs> you know? really right uh-huh. yeah and, or like another more obvious one is like what is he gonna go to the disper to the dispersion is that the right word dispersion among the greeks and teach the greeks oh yeah and or the and non like, or the gentiles yeah 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 mm-hmm. and he's like it's like yep yeah, uh-huh yeah <laughs> you know like yeah. after like the christian that's where they're gonna go mm-hmm. um, uh the christians the well and another n- not to derail too much but the woman at the well the um samaritan yeah, yeah. at the uh-huh. well uh-huh. i think that's very imp- father jacob that's a, yeah exactly but that's a very important passage because that is basically like jesus that's where jesus confirms that this is not just for the jews this is for everyone his his yeah. teaching right right directly Even though the and I think that that is kind of like because the Samaritans are kind of Jewish. But not well, they're really. like a cousin people. Well, even yeah. in John, it refers to like they went into this place, but they left for fear of the Jews. But I'm I'm sure in the context of what they're saying there is like the Pharisees. Oh yeah, yeah. Like the um, like the the yeah. temple bureaucracy is who they're. But like they're all Jews. They're all going to the temple, right? Yeah, yeah. All these people uh-huh. are going to the temple. But then they're like, oh, the Jews are coming. It's like they're a bunch of Jews at the temple. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, but they're saying the Jews are coming, like we got to leave. I, I assume that they're referencing the, the, the Pharisees or the, the leadership. Yeah. yeah. A lot of times where they use the word Jews, some translations even say just like the leadership of the Jews or something mm-hmm. along those lines. And then it could also mean Judeans because, oh, because the word, the Greek word does mean Judean and Jew. So both of those apply, I think. You know, one thing in my my recent this re- recent this week rereading yeah. of John that really struck me is how fast it moves. It moves quick. Yeah, yeah it moves really quick. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's uh-huh. like boom, 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 boom. It's like this is years of yeah. time, I'm sure, uh-huh. right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. and then it's just like boom, 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 boom. Last supper, you're like, whoa, wait, <laughs> we're there already. <laughs> like, this is quick, you know? Yeah, and it, but it's but also I feel like you could be like, okay, one through. like probably the whole book of signs it seems like it's pretty quick and then you get to like chapter 13 and or like what is it 13 and up to the end to 20 yeah it's it's like it's pretty slow right you know it's like literally like 14 through 17 is g i mean we shouldn't talk about this right now but jesus uh talking to his disciples Mm -hmm. like straight up straight up like blocks of text right speaking right and that's at (laughs) Um, the last supper right that's at the last supper yeah yeah um or shortly after or something like that yeah um but anyway back to this uh i guess we'll just jump right into the chapter two yeah keep us focused Um, so right i was looking at a commentary by raymond e brown he's like a catholic priest or he was Mm -hmm. and to say woman wasn't like isn't like nowadays where you're like hey woman get me a sandwich like all sexist kind of deal it was like a, a term of respect woman when you yeah. said woman uh-huh. right I, or like, I like you say like hey man 
you know, like yeah. that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Like calling someone man. I see that. Yeah. And for some no, reason, I mean, it's like, and just the fact that it's coming from Jesus, you know, that it's not like a right, right. woman. <laughs> Come here, woman. <laughs> it just wouldn't fit contextually at all with anything else he ever said. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this theme running throughout this. My hour has not yet come. Right. So it's kind of like almost trying to explain why he didn't do anything, why he was reluctant to perform these signs or go into Jerusalem. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, yeah, we'll just move on from there. Mm -hmm. The rest. So do whatever he tells you. Yeah, that's great. I didn't actually notice that when you, um, that's kind of like just that really stood out to me. I mean, that's Uh my Catholicness right there, jumping out off the page. Like, (laughs) yep. Yeah. Oh, one thing I did want to touch on before we get too far is yeah. chapter one is talking about John the Baptist. Oh yeah, yeah. Which is important because I, I when I very first I was I was listening to an audio book of it and I was like talking about John, 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 and I'm like, the book of John. Wait, oh, I'm confused. This is John the Baptist. Like it took me a second, you know, the one who comes before the one, you know, like yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, duh. I don't know what I was. I was just like in the wrong track of thinking when I was listening to it, you know. But I think that, you know, that's important. And, you know, John the Baptist is like so big in this whole story. But I don't know, it kind of gets downplayed in modern context a little bit. I would bet money that a lot of people who are even Christian don't exactly even know who John the Baptist is. Yeah. You know, (laughs) which is like sad to say he was almost like the the precursor. Isn't he called the precursor or like the. Yeah, there's a name for him. What's his name? One of his titles. Like uh, and that that was part of the fulfillment of the prophecies. That there would be one before the yeah. Messiah who would yeah. tell of the Messiah's coming. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path mm-hmm. straight, something like that, right? Yeah. Um, well, and it's so funny. The Pharisees thought that John the Baptist was like a major problem. They thought he was a major problem. They had no clue, <laughs> you know? And then all of a sudden he's like, I'm literally nothing to the one who will come. Well, he's like, yeah, it's, it's funny because he's like, he's like the heat sink for their their wrath, essentially. Right. Um, or like Herod or whatever, because he yep. ends up imprisoning and cutting his head off. It's a good way to put and it. Then, yeah. And then maybe that's why Jesus was like, well, let's lay low for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Cause it's not, it's not, we're not really certain when exactly in his ministry that John the Baptist was imprisoned and executed, but it's definitely like after it's after Jesus begins his ministry. I'm sure it seems like, like just knowing the personality of Jesus, if you could say that mm-hmm. just seem more like easygoing in a way like not easy going but like then john like calculating in a way oh jesus yeah yeah or like i don't that that sounds like no i i had a similar thought when i was doing this last reading is like Mm -hmm. there's a couple different places in john where it's like he gives a speech or sermon or talk and then people are like we're gonna kill (laughs) you know we're gonna kill you and they start picking up stones and then it says and jesus departed and it's like he just like snuck out of there you yeah, know, yeah, which is yeah. sort of funny. Like if you, you know, you're thinking like, this is God incarnate and he's just sort of like, I'm out, <laughs> you know, just sort yeah, of like, yeah. sort of like slinks out of the room or whatever, you know, without being noticed. Like it's sort of funny, but then it's like, that's what I had. That's what it had to be. Right. He had to get out of there because it wasn't yeah. the time. It wasn't the right moment. Uh-huh. And he couldn't let that happen. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, I mean, it's God we're talking about here, at least from my perspective. So uh-huh. Uh-huh if he just sort of walked out and that was what it was, that probably could be true, you know, but if it was just like me that gave a speech and everyone was going to kill me, I might have to run out of there. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm sure the like awesomeness was like kind of like a much for people in the, in the yeah. moment. 
it's not about like let's say like they would have killed him in that moment or whatever it just probably didn't feel right you know to him and like of course like you think that he knew ahead of time i don't know what i think there's definitely like even if you don't believe that he's god great people tend to know when it's time to die (laughs) you know like okay we're gonna go up to jerusalem we're gonna and i'm gonna like give my life for this they have a sense of their destiny yeah exactly exactly Mm -hmm. and it's like i bet i could just see him being like okay i'm gonna say all this stuff to get mad at me or like any great person is just like okay is this the time right no well and it it doesn't always say it but then that'll kind of like fill you in later that the disciples are there so it could have just been that like jesus was talking the people get up and they're angry and then the kind of the disciples like filing in front of jesus like yeah let's get him out of here you know his entourage kind of pulls him out right like that's kind of what i would that's probably how it really went okay okay like we're we're going now you know because you weren't going to kill them all (laughs) right 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 (laughs) simon peter i mean he was a fighter so i'm sure if there was anybody who got a little too close right right (laughs) You know what part really struck me in this time again of reading was when Jesus just calls him out on that he's going to betray him, like straight oh. to his face, just straight to his face. You're going to betray me before the night's over because he's like, I'll die for you. And it's like when he says that, he probably truly believes it. But then that quickly, he's just like betrays him when he fears for his own life. I guess it's kind of a, a good example of how fast doubt can get into your mind and heart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe it was the edifying story, you know, skeptics would say it, it's an edifying story to make it seem like even sinners, like, you know, be saved or whatever. But I think it did actually happen. Like, it, it seems probable. It seems, yeah, it seems like, like a realistic thing. And then just being so overcome with guilt that like. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then that's the man who goes on to become the first pope. So, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, maybe in a way it's sort of an example of how you know, we might think these holy men are so holy and saints are so saintly, but they're still human. And that is like such a wide gap between what God is, what Jesus was, and mm-hmm. even the holiest man, right? It's like right, unbreachable distance. So, right. And, you know, I was thinking about, this is actually in relation to, I know you don't like him, but Jordan Peterson, how he... It's not that I don't like him. It's just like some of his positions seem cowardly. Because I feel like he really thinks something else and isn't willing to say it, or he's taking the convenient position because it's easier or less flack or whatever. Recently, he has kind of come out and said that he is fully converted, hasn't he? No, not really. No, not um, really. Oh, okay. Yeah. His wife and daughter, you know, Catholic. That's what I heard. Yeah. But I think he's just, I mean, not to get off topic. But it's fine. I mean, he's, um, he's a big figure these days, especially in conversations like this. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, very intellectual he uh can't stop has as we used to say <laughs> in high school and stuff think too much disease think too much you disease. Know, definitely has that yeah he can't stop thinking he loves ideas like yeah obsession so yep. i think that that um might be holding him back from some like more spiritual peace but anyway i was thinking that you know he suffered a lot it seems like in his life and you know he's seen his family go through suffering and friends and stuff um, but it's just this recent one just made me think like this recent, like he was taking too much of an antidepressant or something and mm-hmm. um, a benzodiazepine, I think. Yeah. And it really like screwed up his body and stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, I, don't, I can't remember exactly the details, but he had to spend a lot of time in like foreign hospitals and stuff like that. Yeah. But anyway, I was, and I was thinking like, why does a savior need to suffer? 
the art you could say the archetypal savior or just like any person who saves you know as a definition of the savior why does the savior need to suffer and i guess my answer to that is that the savior has to go has to go to the lower echelons of society and because that's who needs saving and when you kind of bring yourself down to that level of like you know eating with tax collectors and sinners like jesus said or like you know, helping people who need it, who do whatever the downtrodden, however you want to define it, that has an effect on you, I guess, kind of a social effect of when you associate with really motivated people, you're going to be motivated. You know, it's like your environment is like what you think about determines your identity. To some yeah. Extent. Show me your 10 closest friends and I'll show you your future, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so that I think that's why the savior needs to suffer because he has thrown his lot with the downtrodden. I of society. not to jump in there and cut you off or anything, but I no, I no, would I, I think that <clears throat> maybe Jesus definitely there's obviously like a lot of you know lot in the gospels where Jesus is connecting with the downtrodden and the poor yeah. and you know the kind of people cast out of society generally. But I'm not sure that is why does the savior have to suffer? Well, it was, it's, a, it's part of his condition as being incarnate as man, man suffers. I'm not sure it's de- directly correlated with the fact that like some men don't suffer. Some do, some don't all men suffer. Rich men suffer. Yeah. Everyone dies. Every single man dies. Yeah. So I'm not sure that it's like, he's not the savior of the downtrodden. He's the savior of all men. If they choose to believe it on him. Right. John 316. Um, but, uh, uh, but there is, you know, I think that's sort of like social teaching that I think that's sort of maybe like two separate concepts is all I'm trying to say is like, he suffers because man suffers because he was man incarnate. And for like that, like, is just like justice incarnate. Like it's just just pure justice that God to, to be the savior of man becometh becomes man. Like it just seems just in it's just like platonic sense, like mm-hmm. to truly understand us had to be us. God, the father is not man. Jesus, the son is. So, but in another sense, we have Jesus as the platonic idea, so to speak. And then of man. You have like of man. Okay. And then you have, so that aspect of it, right. And then you have the mother Teresa's and the, dare I say, Jordan Peterson's in that category. Um, bad who examples. Are, who are trying to, <laughs> are they bad examples? Yeah. Oh, okay whatever what saints, saints just saints, saints or saints, holy people yeah, yes yeah, yeah, yeah. okay yeah because mother Teresa is pretty mean right i mean there's some conflicting reports about mother yeah, Teresa yeah. for sure but anyway and then you have this lower level of the savior and i feel like that level which is like tied to the christian ideal of jesus as the incarnate man as you said that that connection or not that connection but the savior has to suffer because pretty much did what jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself and like all the i don't know it's hard to put in words he with he that was is without sin cast the first stone that that section correlates to what you're talking about because they bring an adult an adulteress an accused adulteress in right yeah uh-huh. and i mean it's kind of unclear or or just doesn't really say if she truly is an adulteress or not i mean i think we can infer that she was because it said she was caught in the act you know and then everyone leaves and Jesus said, you know, where are your accusers? And, you know, she says they've left this place or whatever. John my, eight, please forgive my horrible paraphrasing, but I'm just trying to get the, okay. yeah, the go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> for the audience. Uh, forgive me. But he says, go forth and sin no more. 
So he's like saying these people are coming in and accusing her, but I think it's important that he said, go forth and sin no more. Like, yeah, he's recognizing that she did sin, but he's not casting judgment on her because her sin is being transferred onto him. He's dying for that sin that she committed, which that applies for everybody. That's another thing I was thinking about was what, what does it mean that Jesus takes the sins of the world upon himself? Mm -hmm. And I think that in a sense that the lower level of savior of just like everyday people wanting to save people or like be charitable or however you want to say it but really like that really that like straddling that line between like imitation of christ and like in christ himself you know what i mean like the saints saint francis mm-hmm. cc yeah those people do take the sins of the world upon themselves in a way you know they do bear the cross of the world's the world's Sin. sins in a way uh-huh. <laughs> yeah that's a heavy burden Mm-hmm. you know like even if you don't think jordan peterson is you know saves people or whatever in a way i think that he believes he does and i think that affects him a lot because he does talk a lot about people coming up to him all the time and being like hey i got my life together because i was listening to you you know mm-hmm. it's a sense a central like thing or like i'm returning to the faith of my ancestors because of because of what you said and no it's just- i should make a, a clear statement here you know that I sort of went through an atheist phase for years, yeah. pure materialistic philosophy. Hitchensonian, whatever you want to say. I didn't like, I wasn't like, oh, I love Hitchens or anything so no. much, you know, but it was just yeah. like in that world or whatever. Yeah. Just materialist atheism, basically. Yeah. Scientific uh-huh. absolutism, which I look back on now as like a complete joke, but, uh, <laughs> and I was just young and idealistic, I guess. And uh, that was yeah, the path I, mean, I went down. When I was sort of back on the path to, Christianity, which I'm a Christian now, and I should have always been, but whatever, you know, I went and then I kind of like, you know, you start getting that nagging thing about spirituality or that nagging sense of like emptiness because it is empty. Believing that the universe is just a soulless dead accident of physics is soulless in and of itself. And it reflects back in you as a human person, because human beings are religious by nature. Every single culture on the planet has religion and spirituality, even if it's not Christianity or revealed religion or whatever you want to call it. So, you know, we have that innate thing in us that wants that. So we don't have it yet. You're miserable. And that's what the atheists are. They're miserable, you know, <laughs> and I get it. I get why they're miserable, but you know, so I do. And then I, that started pulling me towards more spiritual things. You know, I did the whole like, Oh, what's Buddhism, Buddhism about? That's interesting. You know, and there's some wisdom there, you know, but it's not like, the final answer as far as i'm concerned and then i started looking into you know just exploring like other mythologies and religions and european mythologies and stuff like that kind of when you do that you get taught this process of looking at things through an allegorical what's the phrase for like literate literature analysis hermetics or just just you know the ability to look at something and and take uh not hermeneutics um Exegesis? yeah i just literary okay. <laughs> literary analysis is what i was okay. looking for sure. uh you know you where you can take a, a piece of work and look at it from like five different levels or whatever from the yeah, yeah. from the literal level to the allegorical level to the religious level to the you know references to ancient right you know in anything modern there's references to things older you know like that whole like web of things that are there in a given piece of literature that's that looking into like comparative religion teaches you sort of how to do that and look at like the metaphors between things look at the similarities and the differences between things and make the connections that like we're just they're plain to you now but like so distant you know you could never look at it and be like what i don't know you know so coming into that and then learning sort of how to think in that way i will say i was listening to 
I was listening to a podcast. I want to say it was either 2015 or 2016. Uh, it might've been the very first time that Joe, uh, Jordan B. Peterson went on Joe Rogan's podcast. And it was like, whoa, I had never thought about these things in this way. He was applying that literary analysis, that allegorical metaphorical way of thinking to the Bible. And I had never been exposed to thinking about it in that way ever ever because yeah. when you're growing up in the church or whatever it's just so literal it's just like this would happen then this then this and this yeah. nobody really explains it because they've lost their religion too anybody explaining it to you in the modern times has lost their religion also and that's what sorry to interrupt but that's what makes the church so uh unappealing to the youth mm-hmm. too. it just seems like a dead religion it it, you know, it is yeah. <laughs> it is and i mean i tell this to my family but i'm like i literally don't think i knew who jesus was till i was in like fourth or fifth grade raised in a catholic family and I hadn't been explicitly taught who Jesus was. I had no idea. I didn't know the Bible stories. Really? Really. Wow. Yeah, maybe I'd yeah, been to church, but there's no context for it. You don't understand what they're talking about at all. That is an issue, I feel like, with... That's like, all tradition, though. All tradition in the world is... is, is, ha- is the, so There used to be an unbroken chain of tradition. Hun- generations upon generations. Hundreds of generations, right? Unbroken chains of tradition. And then you get modern consumer mass culture breaks the chain one generation hammer comes down on the anvil done no one gives a shit we got tv and weed man we're done what are you talking with bible with the rolling stone bro you know like it was overnight they was lost and and it was part of the like philosophy of education at the time like the baby boomers were taught the baby boomers weren't taught weren't raised this way but they were taught this as how to raise the next generation which was gen x they were taught, just let your kids kind of figure it out for themselves. Don't really like over teach them stuff. What happens when you don't teach your kids stuff? They don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> Except what the people who are teaching them are teaching them, which was coming out of the universities and the school system, which was materialist atheism, consumerism, essentially. Yeah. Before we get to a topic, I think we should. No, no. I, I, my point was just that to circle back, my point was that I shouldn't give Jordan Peterson too much grief because I would be definitely. I would definitely be lying if I didn't admit that he was a step in my journey back to the church, because after that, I started looking at things more in an intellectual way, which I didn't before. And it was like seeing Christianity with new eyes. And that's what allowed me to see it like clearly without like my prejudgments that I had growing up in it. So yeah, thanks Jordan. (laughs) That's nice. He should uh, convert and (laughs) announce his faith though. He might. I mean, I think he might have just done psychedelics. Uh, th- those can really wipe out your ability for your heart to accept like a structure, a certain, a certain structure of reality. Let's say. I think that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Um, let's get back to John. Yes. Um, since we're kind of jumping around a lot, I guess we'll just yeah. go to my and their interpretation I developed by, and maybe it's an obvious one. Jesus is saying, you know, uses some metaphors for like who he is and what he brings to the table essentially so one of them is going to be in john four the the living water or he's talking about maybe i'll just read it you know jesus kind of hanging out by a well while his disciples are away getting food this is john four seven i'll just read it until i think i shouldn't anymore a samaritan woman came to draw water and jesus said to her give me a drink his disciples had gone to the city to buy food the samaritan woman said to him how is it that you a jew ask of drink of me, a woman of Samaria. Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
the woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well? And with his sons and his flocks drank from it. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty, for that water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. There's this idea of like just straight up water, physical water that you drink to survive. And then there's this like platonic idea of water, which is like, what is the actual thing that will make you never have to be thirsty? Or you're just like, oh, thirst, what is that? Who cares? And I think that that's what a lot of saints and like a lot of spiritual or great people in general kind of realize what is like the most important thing and that's something that makes the gospel of john really special i think is that jesus is claiming he has access to the platonic realm he's like i know what the ultimate form is and i can give it to you perfection yeah mm-hmm. yeah so the living water in that commentary i was reading he doesn't say i am the living water because he says that he is a lot of stuff like i am the resurrection of life i am the bread of life I am uh, the way of the truth and life. But he never the says, living I water, am the living water. <clears throat> the living water is something he gives you. Yeah. Which is the, I think it's an ally. Oh, uh, revel- revelation. That's what Brown was saying in that commentary. <clears throat> I think the living water is the Holy Spirit too. Yeah, because in, in John 3, just before that, unless someone is born from water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God or something like that. So the Holy is... Spirit doesn't dwell in you. What do you mean? You just said, if the water is not within you, you cannot enter heaven. The Holy Spirit is not within you. You cannot enter heaven. Sorry, what are you saying? <laughs> Nothing. Go ahead. Just keep okay. going. <laughs> there's the water there in that passage. And then there's the, the bread of life, which is a similar thing. Except, I mean, it's kind of true with that. When the disciple who ends up walking away says, he's like, it's like, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Oh, when with Jesus the eat my like, body. Eat my body. Drink of my blood. And it's, it's really like, actually for a non-christian like myself what does it mean to eat body mm-hmm. and drink the blood and i'm sure all christians think about that all the time too it's like what does it actually mean to digest god <laughs> or like what does it mean so there's this hunger that people have mm-hmm. and john six jesus feeds for five thousand, right yeah with with bread and fish mm-hmm he gathers up the fragment, which are on the grass, which is like crazy to think about, like gathering crumbs uh, and breadcrumbs and fish bones. guts. Yeah, fish bones. Guts. yeah. <laughs> I guess it wouldn't be, it would be cooked probably, but gathering all these things together. And it has to do with later in John 6, John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So hearkening back to what he said before. Mm-hmm. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Everything that the Father gives to me will come to me. And anyone who comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is indeed the will of my Father, that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. It's like this idea of like getting the crumbs, even the crumbs off. Mm -hmm. They're sitting on grass, you know, Mm -hmm. at least in the synoptics, they were sitting on grass. So it's like, you're going to like pick up all the crumbs from the grass, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the ground. Like worthless. (laughs) Uh And refuse. 
what are you going to do with it? It's, I don't know. It's, and there are 12 baskets, mm-hmm. which 12. I think 12. Yeah, it's a holy number. Was it 12 um, baskets? I think it's 12 baskets. For sure. Of the fragments. Uh, let me see. I thought it was five baskets. I think there were five loaves of bread. John 6, 13. Mm. 12, 12, 12. <laughs> five, five barley loaves. Oh, okay. Oh, so it was just the fragments of the barley loaves, not the fish. The fragments filled sense. 12 baskets. So the exact text is, so they gathered them up and from the fragments of the, wait, hold on. Oh, no, he said, so it's everything. So it's all the fragments. So mm-hmm. said to his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. And then the people believe in him basically because he, you know, multiplied the spread. The spread. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say how, it's just like he did it. Mm-hmm. So they are like motivated by the Aristotle, I can never say that word, Aristotelian like logic of like, oh, we can get more bread by like following this guy. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, no, it's not about Aristotle. It's about Plato. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. Um, <laughs> Aristotle was a dog. <laughs> no, uh, joking. Oh, but... and then, oh, I have something else to say. Yeah, yeah, please. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Thanks. I was listening to, I, I should send you this thing about this this like really like cool like orthodox father i guess um and they this this protestant no i don't think he was he was a priest whatever that word is so they just call him like holy father or something probably it's probably something like like badass like that he was saying that they keep red or something on the altar like whatever the equivalent is i really don't know what it is and uh, anyway like physical so uh uh-huh and they're saying it he they leaven it because that's like the expanding upward to heaven in a way you know and like like uh how jesus says in the synoptics the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who put in three measures of leaven to a bread until it was all leaven right and so that's the interpretation they take but then there's also the interpretation of the leaven the leaven of the pharisees which is what jesus warns about in at least i know he does it in mark like beware of the leaven of the pharisees the disciples are like, oh, it's because we need some, we need to buy some bread. And he's like, no, 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 that's not what it is. And they're like, oh, the teaching. Okay, got it. Got <laughs> it. <laughs> oh, it's another Pharisees. allegory or metaphor. Okay, we got it. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> he's like, okay, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. One, one morning, Jesus is like, can you bring me my cloak? And like all the disciples are like, um, <laughs> what does he mean by that? <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, just literally bring me my cloak. I'm not teaching you at this time. Stop. <laughs> I'm cold. Yeah. Don't write uh, this down. Don't write this down. Stop John, it. stop. <laughs> but that um, is interesting, though, because yeah. so in the Orthodox for their Eucharist, they used they used leavened bread. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. In the you know, in the Latin rite, we use. Yeah, that was it. That unleavened was it. bread. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. And then and then you go back to like Exodus, right? Where it's like they needed to um they just didn't have time or, or like and that has that kind of like the unleavened bread, matzah, has that kind of urgency, right? Like we need to get the we need to get out of Egypt now. Right. We need and bread it, in that, bodies now. <laughs> yeah. And that has the same type of urgency as um the kingdom of heaven is at hand mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like the time is near. Mm-hmm. But were you going to say something? Just the passage you were talking about, which was the, I did want to make a note, you know, it is interesting how there's commentary on the crowd's reaction to what Jesus says. 
You mean when they began, then the Jews began to complain about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven, like that kind of thing? Yeah, like this is a hard teaching. Like oh, they, yeah, it literally yeah. says what their like what response is. It's, I find yeah. that interesting because you're, it seems like you're not going to find that in another religion, really. Or it's just such an odd thing. Like in, in Norse religion, you're not going to be like, and then Thor said the decree, <laughs> right? And then some guy was like, that doesn't make sense, you know, Lord, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's not going to be in there. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe the gods would question each other, but it's not going to be in the context of like just some random person and God, you know what well, I mean? Well, I think the Iliad, maybe you could, you can make the argument. Yeah. Um, but is the Iliad like, really like a religious yeah. text? I think um, a lot of people saw it that way, but really? I, I would have to study that into that, but I'm pretty sure it was considered kind of like the religion of the warriors in, in a way. Like, I think, for yeah. example, alexander the great like it was right it was like the only book he ever read and he he just like kept it under his pillow he kept it with him at all times right no i mean that makes sense well it became what defined that entire warrior society yeah the warrior cast yeah and if you read it it will get you into that mindset like you feel it oh yeah and then they're marching off to wars like bees (laughs) as they anger towards the honey you know (laughs) yeah you're like yes i am the bee (laughs) (laughs) yeah gets you into that like Mm -hmm. that like hive mind like we're going to war and we're gonna like kill people kind of yeah Um, i'm not even sure it's a hive mind thing but it does it sort of like pumps you up right it glorifies war oh definitely glorifies glorifies the warrior yeah i do think it's funny that this is something i didn't really realize but there is a line in the iliad that one guy gets shot in the eye Uh with an arrow and then the next line is he didn't see it coming really (laughs) (laughs) Which is funny to think that that's a funny joke and it's been as a 3,200 year old joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Or is that right? Yeah, 3,200 years. Yeah, that's about right, right? 1,200 BC. Yeah. Well, no, it was written. It was written like 800 BC. 600. 600. It happened about 1,200 BC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The event or events that inspired it, I'm sure. It happened in the Dark Ages. Mm -hmm. Um, Wait, wait. Did it happen in the, it happened after the fall of the Bronze Age civilization? Yeah, yeah. It did. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So it sort of was a continuation of the Bronze Age warrior. Well, that that the warrior class that brought about the end of the Bronze Age yeah, <laughs> is what yeah. it really is. And it's like it's that classic like historical trope or reality of we're gonna do a lot of war now so there can be like stability later. Mm-hmm. Like World War Two, great example. <laughs> Even though they were like the Cold War, and we're probably gonna see something happen in the next few years well um, stability never lasts forever but it lasted no. a while it, world war ii yeah. did create the post world two world war ii global order definitely yeah. but i did want to go back to the passage you were talking about about what was the last passage you were you were actually like reading word for oh, word 635 635 yeah it's funny that passage is used by both Catholics to justify the necessity of the Eucharist and Protestants to say that you don't need anything but to believe in Jesus. Because <laughs> it's saying if you believe in him, you will be, you know, raised up. But then it's saying, you know, who, but then it's saying you, that you need to eat of my body and drink of my blood to fulfill the yeah. covenant, right? So it's, it's just, I just wanted to note that it is funny that <laughs> that's used by both sides as like, look here, it's in the scripture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I am Catholic, but I think I've mentioned to you that I do tend to have some sympathies for the idea of once saved, always saved or once saved, you know, well, in what the other passage you were reading that like what God gives to me, I will not lose. And, you know, God cannot lose it. Like what, whatever comes to me cannot be lost. Yeah. 
and I think that ties in. I think that I think that ties in with the connection of the woman. He says, you know, go forth and sin no more, but he does not cast judgment. Like her sins are on him. He doesn't, he's not casting judgment on her sins, but he is saying to not sin anymore. So there's that, that's almost a contradiction as well, where it's like, he's forgiving her of her sin, but still asking her to not sin anymore, but he's not judging her for the sin (laughs) either. So it's like this contradiction of like, so does it really not matter if we sin or does, does it matter if we sin? All of our sin goes on to Jesus in the end, but do we have a personal responsibility to atone for it is sort of the question. And that's what ties into like Catholic confession, Catholic and, you know, Catholic thing. The Catholic thing is you have to confess your sin to be forgiven for it, right? Protestants just say you need to just ask God for forgiveness. But then would that same Protestant turn around and say, well, you don't really need to as long as you actually truly do believe in Jesus too. So I don't know. There's just so yeah. much contradictory thinking and almost kind of like circular thinking that you could like think yourself to death in these sections, you know, like (laughs) seriously, like, and even just the, you know, he was without sin cast the first stone. It's like, well, no man is without sin. Right. But I don't think that that means that we're never called to judge because the entire concept of charity is to, if you see your brother in error to correct them. And that's a judgment in of itself to say they're in error. Agape the etymology that I thought so agape as we know is like love charity essentially brotherly love brotherly love Mm -hmm. so if you look at the etymology of it or my theoretical etymology of it it's which we all know (laughs) is the etymological of course of course end point so so you have ag right ag Mm -hmm. indo-european that's to lead right to lead lead yeah to lead so like um, something to lead to water yeah it's uh the indo-european root is okay to lead to drive like you're driving an ox or mm-hmm. something across yes. your farmland that's right. another thing agriculture okay. comes have from. you been diving into indo-european i have this book here that says the origins of english words mm-hmm. which i look at when i want to know yeah etymology i do every so often i like at some i can just tell at some point in my life i'm gonna have like a study with too many books and i'll be like yeah. 55 and be like yeah. yes the proto-indo-european etymological root of this word is equos which means kin you know i just i know at some point in my life i'm gonna do a deep dive on etymology that i'm never gonna come out of but i'm not there yet <laughs> you can read it's like it's kind of hard just straight up read it well it's more of like a thesaurus reference right yeah but it's discursive he's kind of like yeah so like this thing means this and it's like oh here's like a here's like a poem where they used it and here's like all this like different stuff yeah that's cool almost informal Mm, okay he's just talking to you like you were just saying yeah yeah (laughs) like ah kid means kind and (laughs) kind means kid yeah yeah but anyway back to agape um so ag is to lead and then ape is kind of harder to determine. That's the where it gets sketchy. But apo basically means it's like a preposition. Apocalypse is like kind of take away, like uncover, I think it is. Mm. Like reveal. That makes sense, um, yeah. And then uh, apology is like to kind of, what is it? Away from words or something? Or away from like logic to like instigate a kind of pathos in a way. Your apology is like, I don't know. But anyway, well, it's it's an equivalent with eulogy, right? Good words, yeah, that's what that means. Oh, explain that. Oh, so you is good or well, so it's like it's words that are good. Okay, so what is how is that relate to Eucharist? Good graces. Charist. Charis is grace. In Greek. Greek, yeah, I think there's another definition. Literally, I think it's like good grace. Is that connected to the word at all for Christ, or is that just a coincidence? Christ, Christ, Christo. I'll have to look at that. I don't know. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, so eulogy is 
Yes, in Greek. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What is um, it? What is what is it in the Greek? Which is kind of like grace Christos. Christos. Okay. Uh-huh. I think I think so. Yeah. Yeah. The nominative version. So anyway, back to Sorry. Apollo. Yeah. Um, it's <laughs> agape, agape, kind of taking you away from something. Mm-hmm. I thought that might be a way. So it's like taking you away from sin, I guess, towards something else. Um, w- w- agape. Agape. Yeah. Like leading you away from the things that don't matter. Mm. Um, like it, um, true. True is like true that there's like a trueness to it. True love, right? Like it's a yeah unconditionalness to it. Yeah. Does yeah. that make sense? That's an interesting idea. Or is ape just a funny way of saying happy? And um, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Away, away from happiness. That's what love is. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's no other definition. No, well, um, I'm leading you to <laughs> happiness. Leading you to happiness. Well, to, leading away is a leading to. As well. They're different. Yeah, leading away means you're being led towards something. I would assume, like a, a dog led away from the room to go pee. Right. So it's they are the same. Being led is to and fro. Yeah, to and fro. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then it could be led to happiness because it's agape. Yeah. Uh-huh. Agapi. Uh, lead happy, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's some pro level uh, etymology there for you folks. <laughs> but agape is like like a you know, the classic example in the New Testament. Um, I believe it's like Corinthians or something. It's like faith hope and charity but the greatest one of these is charity charity mm-hmm. was agape or like sometimes it's translated as love in okay some versions. like faith hope love but the greatest of these is love gotcha and that's that's where it's like well and i feel like the modern uses of these words confuses it obviously because like now it's like hey you shouldn't do that don't judge me <laughs> you know you know if you tell someone to not do something then it's like they're all like um, offended and stuff and it's like no i'm just telling you not to do it i'm not saying like you're a bad person for doing it or whatever you know it might carry yeah. that connotation but it's like it is what it is kind of you know yeah and obviously yeah, jesus like, wants us to be charitable in that sense there's this there's this clip i don't know where it's from where jordan peterson is like you're not telling someone to do something because you know if you have good intentions let's just assume that so if you have good intentions like you're not telling someone to do something just to like lord it over them or like right to judge them. It's like because you're trying to and like he got really emotional, like he does um, yeah. a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> he was like, You're literally, you're saving them from hell. You're mm-hmm. trying to save them from hell. Right. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. See the and, thing if you can't tell them takes... the truth, you've got to know that. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> <laughs> do your best um, go oh my best friend peterson uh-huh do it yes right exactly okay i can do it <laughs> see the thing that people fail to grasp is the post-modernist <laughs> Post- post-modern lies have they've told everyone <laughs> you just basically like do like a, a shaky famous... a shaky yeah, kind yeah. of the frog uh-huh, uh-huh. that's like pretty shameless cough on me Who's Seamus Coughlin? Uh, he's Freedom Tunes guy. Doesn't ring a bell. Oh. Sorry. Oh, he does like card. Oh, okay, I'll show you. I think I think I've sent you a few. Of them. Oh but yeah, anyway. that rings a bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Years ago. He's like he's a Catholic. He's a Catholic. Of course, um. Catholics. <laughs> what were we talking about? Yeah, Will. Uh, way to take oh, us yeah. on a tangent, geez. Okay, here's another tangent, but I think it's I think it relates back. Um, <laughs> it's something I've thought of recently. Mm-hmm. Is you know, we we all know that phrase with it's like from the, somewhere in the prophets. Without visions, 
the people perish something like that have you heard that oh okay let me look at the exact because like <laughs> it's better it's better than that and it's hard to it's hard to like understand F-E-R-E i forget this is a i forget this is a purely audio format i just shook my head aggressively just to, to, to denote that i do not know the passage <laughs> i was referencing to without oh right right without visions oh yeah i guess is that really it okay proverb 29 when the wicked rule people mourn the righteous consider the cause of the poor a fool speaks all that is in his mind where there is no vision the people perish he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy but i guess the most mm-hmm. point is where where there's no vision the people perish okay. modern day example of this fdr and his inauguration speech mm-hmm. basically says um which i think you should read that it's pretty interesting okay he's like yeah like the capitalists and stuff like they, they totally screwed this over they don't know what they're doing they're trying to fix things we need to step in and do something like great depression era so this is like kind of prepping for his new deal mm-hmm. and then he says where, where there's no vision the people will perish mm. you know, in to that. fdr references that uh-huh where there is no vision the people will perish yeah. <laughs> uh, Today, which will have an tomorrow. What's funny is it might be easier to read that speech just because they spoke so slow. Yeah. And they still do kind of when they're reading the speech. Today, we're December 7th. Well, 41 will not be. Why did he talk like that? Seriously, it's so weird. There's no way they I just think- sat around like, Will you make me a sandwich? <laughs> no, no. It was definitely like... <laughs> like speech cadence? They were using, yeah, the cadence to cater to the technology. Radio. That was part of it. Yeah, radio yeah. and the audio tech at the time, I think. Yeah, that makes sense because it was very like unclear, garbled. Yeah. Yeah, yeah scratchy. Uh, FDR in his initial speech said, I will be a dictator for four, <laughs> 30 years, 13 years <laughs> till I have a brain aneurysm in my... <laughs> Blood vessels in my brain explode, and then Truman will nuke Japan. That's what he, that was his speech. Yeah. He was pretty was like, actually what? prophetic, not to get away with it. He he was pretty forward thinking, even though that's an annoying word to say. Um, but he kind of saw like that the U.S. might get involved in the war and stuff, and like. Well, yeah, it's prophetic when you're the one that can steer us into that war, and then you do that. That's very that's prophetic. True. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I think uh, we might get in this war. I'm going to force us into. <laughs> I just have a feeling. <laughs> the japanese said if we don't if we cut off their oil they're gonna go to war with us i think i'm gonna cut off their oil (laughs) i think that's the i think that's the move i'm not a fan if anyone is wondering me neither but i think it's just his uh his whole ethos is interesting yeah Um, yeah uh he's essentially like the first neoliberal politician in american history or at least president with regard to without vision the people perish yeah please vision vision requires Let's just talk on a base level. Vision requires light. Yes. Um, and if yes. you think about the higher form of vision, book of revelation kind of thing, or just like any kind of religious experience, even blind, but now I see blind, but now I see, but it's also like, like to see a vision before your eyes in broad daylight or in a dream. It's always, it's always in relation to that lower level of light like you're always it's not you can't see in darkness and like jesus says that one point like whoever walks in darkness is gonna stumble i don't know i guess it's so obvious to say that you need light you need the higher light 
just as you need the lower light to mm-hmm. see in, during the day, you need the higher light to see truth. It to see truth. Yeah. And I think that's what I got I I just recently realized this, so I'm gonna have to think about it more. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the light of the world. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that's another thing he says, I am, you know, I am the light of the I world. I am whoever. Yeah. Yeah. Where was that? John eight or something? Yep. The light, the truth, the way. Oh no, hold on. Oh yeah. Maybe I'll just skip to John nine because that's like such a cool part. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> he says it I know he says it here. Oh yeah, here it is. Uh eight. So just after he um excuses the woman from or you know, like says mm-hmm. no more to the woman. Uh eight twelve. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Mm-hmm. Of life. Light of life. That's what trips me up in John mm-hmm. and kind of makes me want to study it a lot more. It almost resists that kind of thing we were talking about before, kind of the more literary, like kind of mythological or metaphorical interpretation. It's um, more It's more like your conventional narrative story. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. No, no, what I meant is maybe that too, but what I meant mean is like something like light, like saying like I am the light. Just that phrase is there, like I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. How can you interpret that any differently than what it says? And oh, like, right. You know <laughs> like I mean? you can infer like, other things from it, but the meaning cannot be possibly mis like lost. Like the core meaning cannot be misinterpreted. Yeah, it's hard to like have different interpretations mm-hmm. like you might with some of the some of the other parts of the New Testament. Right. Right. Or like I'm the bread of life. I guess like things like light, such a it is both a wave and a particle. Blah blah. Yeah. <laughs> particle both a wave and a, a wave. both a wave and a particle, which doesn't uh, make sense. And it's <laughs> and it's all encompassing. Whatever it touches, it will bounce off until it completely dissipates. Like, mm-hmm. it's just like something that i think we've talked about this before this thomas aquinas quote i always go back to where god's presence in us and in, in creation is like light shining through air mm-hmm. there's this very ethereal almost like primal connotation of light when it's talked mm-hmm. about in this way oh yeah well i mean it's genesis let there be light like that was like yeah the, like that was the first the universe was created up before there was light in it but the light is like the first instance of there being truth justice goodness righteousness in the universe like it's always been like (laughs) you know let there be light and god looked upon it and said it was good like light and dark are forever and always have been the primordial alchemical ingredients versions of good and evil yeah and then there's the um i think we should let's can we talk about john one a little bit like john one um the whatever they call it the pre the prologue Uh uh-huh in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god logos yeah yeah so logos is it logos or logos in uh, the logos. logos logos i think i'm gonna did i talk about this in the the la- like one of the last podcasts where i did it by myself i it's been a while <laughs> okay yeah i don't i don't i mean i think you maybe touched on it but i don't i don't remember for sure Okay, whatever. Yeah, Logos, Logos, the divine word. Um, The philosophers kind of developed this idea. This is why, one of the reasons why scholars, Bible scholars think that John was written with Greek philosophy in mind or like under the influence of Greek philosophy because there is this idea of the Logos, um, which was a Greek idea. And there are different, there are different, um, I wish I could pull it up. Maybe I have it here. 
I do think if people out there, if you're listening to this and some of this stuff isn't making sense or we're not doing the best job explaining it, I mean, we're not experts. We're just laymen talking about things we find interesting. That's really what we're doing here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if something doesn't make sense, one thing that I do want to kind of explain really quickly in like one sentence is for people is if, if you don't know that Greek philosophy from, you know, Greek classical antiquity philosophy was a major, major contributing influence on the entire Christian religion. So you do need to study the Greeks to truly have an understanding of Christianity. If you don't, a lot of it's not going to make sense. So just look into it. Keep that in mind. Yeah. And like, this could mean like, if you're a Christian, you want to understand gospel of John and like uh, new Testament Christianity, you could just watch a video on Plato or something and Mm -hmm. you would get it. Watch it. Watch one of the, like they have some like, like a lecture of one of those free lectures that they've the videotaped like on Plato. You'll and you'll be like, oh, okay, that that makes sense. Like that's mm-hmm. all you need to know. I think I've listened to a few audiobooks about Plato. It's really, uh, I mean, like like The Republic or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's pretty. It's pretty easy read, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the stuff. It's just like long. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. He wrote a lot. A lot. Yeah. Uh, uh, who's that doctor? Uh, who's the guy who wrote a book recently on Logos? I don't know. I and not anti right. I don't know. That's the only one I can think of. Do you want to Google it? Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and Google it. Keep going. Okay. So while you're doing that, maybe I'll read the prologue for the people. So in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There is a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. And I think that's pretty much the end of the prologue. Yeah. Very unusual beginning to a gospel. There's a lot of theories where that came from. So real quick, what is the synoptics? Synoptics, Mark, Luke, and Matthew are, the, yeah. They're, so the three of the synoptics and the one is? By itself. Just in the, okay. Jo, jo, I think <laughs> there's a Johannine. I think that's how you say it. <laughs> Who? There's a word, Johannine. It's like J-O-H-A-N-N-I-N-E. <laughs> it's like a really, whenever you see that word, that means like Johnny. Johnny in. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Johannine. I think it's like Johannine. Okay. Johannine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Johannian. <laughs> yeah. But, but synoptics, you can make a lot of parallels between them. Mm-hmm. Um, stories, stories basically the same. Yeah. But John is entirely different. Once you realize that, it like, yeah. So do mind. we, do we agree that the gospel according to John was written by John the beloved? I think it was John the beloved started the tradition started a certain tradition the synoptics i think were kind of their own tradition or like maybe they branched off each other i think this one grew independent was independent i think can we agree on that 
this is like this is kind of independent from that that sphere i think it was influenced a little bit by it like there are some um, well they were all witness of that they were all witness the same the same event so (laughs) yeah yeah like okay so the synoptics are like in their own if we have a family tree with a jesus on Mm -hmm. top off to the left they're like a cluster of like the synoptics off to the right we'll have john and maybe they were like maybe there's like a fine there's like a little line in between so it makes like a triangle Mm -hmm. but like the bottom line that's connecting the johns to the synoptics i would say that's thin pretty thin well because john sort of did his own thing right like did he really go into much of a ministry so the reason so i think he did do a a, a, kind of a ministry there's a lot of this to inference but coming from a background of like studying literature um like my degree is in english Mm -hmm. um so you know i have some training to this in this regard i don't think 90 year old john because that's when they think it was written like john would have been about 90 70 80 right they think at 90 to 110 i don't know it could be i don't know because i think it would have had to been written before the fall of the temple okay regardless of age (laughs) okay I don't think he could just sit down and write this down. And I'll tell you the reasons for that. There is a, after John 14, at the end of John 14, he says, I will not talk much longer with you. Basically, like the end of this, I will no longer, so this is uh, 1430. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me, but I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father rise let us be on our way and then it's like okay first of all you have he's saying i'm not going to talk talk much longer with you but then we have 15 through 16 15 through 17 chapters (laughs) jesus let's be clear this is jesus this is jesus talking yeah yes talking for three chapters so it's like unless that's a lot i don't think it would be irony i guess it could be (laughs) but he's he's talking seriously here you know this (laughs) this is a serious part of the of the um, book i don't think he's gonna say he's gonna like oh i'm not gonna touch talk much longer with you and then like continue on for three more chapters and then the other piece of evidence would be like rise let us be on our way and then he just keeps talking so that's like what what do you mean where did they go it doesn't say anything like that so i think that that was that part and there are other parts too that i can't remember right now but that 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 was put in maybe was added to later by his by john's disciples so i think maybe that was the first part they got the they don't fit they don't fit in the like this section doesn't fit in the story chronologically what do you mean where jesus goes on it does not fit chronologically is what you're saying yeah or it it just it has there's evidence that it was added i'm not gonna say like they added like the eighth century or something well okay so i won't i'm not gonna talk to you much longer whatever let us walk and then he talks for i mean okay if you read this out loud maybe five minutes that isn't much longer yeah but was he was he talking the whole time the whole his whole ministry is just talking a little time (laughs) well okay but like Like, he's not going to talk for much longer he is nearing the end of his ministry like he's literally going to be dead in a couple weeks okay okay i can see that but what about rise let's be on our way like because it was the end of the feast right the end of the last supper i don't know i mean it just kind of starts off like i'm the true vine it's not it doesn't he just keeps talking 14 at the beginning of 15 he just starts talking again without any any break supposedly you see that how it's a continued quotation yeah but that's i mean this is like he's he's given like full breakdown here you know 
There's a lot to say. Where does he say that no, he won't I, talk much longer? Uh, 14, the end of 14, uh, 30, I think it starts. Hereafter, for the prince of this I world. My, my translation says, I will not talk. I will no longer talk much with you. Okay, well, no, listen to this. This is KGB. Okay. Okay. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Who's the prince of this world? The devil. Yes. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. The explanation being, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, because he sent Judas Iscariot to betray him. Hereafter that, he will not talk more. Oh, okay. I can see that. This is the section directly after he sends Judas Iscariot away uh-huh. with the sob. Yeah, you're right. So he sends Judas Iscariot away. Then he proceeds to do the breaking of the bread. He doesn't break bread with Judas Iscariot. I think another thing was I would want to, if I didn't think it was so boring, (laughs) I would probably do this, Um, which would be to, because in in that Brown's commentary, they were saying that he was like in Galilee at one point, and then he was like suddenly in Judea. So it wasn't coherent. Like it wasn't like chronologically, I guess. Yeah, but I would have to look into that and see, like, because it's so, there's so many things where it's like, and then he was here, and then they did this, and mm-hmm. blah blah blah, and then they said all these words, and it's like it's so hard to track all that, all that, all that stuff. So I guess I would want to do that before I form a more definite. That opinion. would be very interesting to have a multi-source collated chronological timeline of events. I'm sure someone's already done that, but I, maybe not. I've never seen it. Yeah, no, like definitely. Jesus's yeah. ministry was three years, right? Can we try right. and map locations and places and times well, you know as much as possible? You know who I know who did it? Did it is um like the people like Thomas Jefferson who did like the words of Jesus mm, with his her- heresy Bible. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I think other people have done that too. The to Jefferson Bible. What did he do? He basically cut everything out except for the words of Jesus. Yeah, and like the necessaries but still there's a lot of um story that was necessary oh he cut mm. out the miracles that's what he did because he didn't believe in them wow deist mm-hmm. deist scum <laughs> i knew you're gonna say that <laughs> it's always whatever this scum, scum. Um, so... <laughs> that's oblivion brainwashing me oh yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> okay what were we just talking about chronological timeline oh yeah 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 john one yeah i mean uh, like just intuitively i guess i'll just end with this intuitively with my training in quotes uh-huh. uh, <laughs> i think that this is like such a great work of literature i don't mm-hmm. think so i think it had needed some editing i'll just say that or like i don't think someone just went down and was like okay in the beginning was the word and the words with god <laughs> blah 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 because blah. it's so well put together right someone would at least have to like in the style is like so planned it seems like mm-hmm. that you'd have to be like i mean what if it's just the truth if you were the person of john and you went through these events and you lived them and it was the obviously the most important thing of your life and then you also uh-huh. turn around and believe that it's the most important thing that has ever happened in the history of planet earth you know and you spend your entire life teaching this to other people don't you think i mean by the time it got from the events of the trojan war to homer it had been codified into an exact poem yeah it had been codified into an oral tradition that was more or less uh exactly retained over centuries 
Yeah, I think it was, but it was a little gospelly in the sense that like there were witness different witnesses because I'm pretty sure there's this theory that different poets like basically made poem like micro poems to the same like parts of this parts of the Iliad story. It's kind of like how you would maybe write a poem about or like a story, not a story, but um, yeah, like a story about a saint or something, you know, a story about Paul uh or like just a modern day like movie about jesus like that kind of thing they put emphasis on different things yeah yeah but the people of greece knew the story so they're not going to be like oh it was yeah everyone knew the story and all the parts of the stories and everyone knew how to recite it like every family would have one guy who could do the whole thing so there's a story there's the base story right and then i think there were embellishments um like remember i was sending you that uh i sent you that story or the modern day like iliad guy from ireland who so there's this guy um who memorized these epics and Mm -hmm. no basically he had no one to teach him to so he was the last guy yeah so yeah it was like folktales kind of like iliad it's very like rhythmic oral tradition folk stories oral tradition Mm -hmm. yeah yeah they record him saying a stanza or something Mm-hmm. and it's, it's uh he's like <laughs> yeah and then the interviewer is like so what was he saying and he's like well he was saying like the waves were like like this and the dolphins were like jumping out of the surf and it was like really beautiful and like the sun was shining blah 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 and like he, he's like you could just say like and then they left and then they arrived at the place that we're going mm-hmm. you know, from the ship but but he's like this is the it's the poetic quality of it you know mm-hmm. it's important and i think that like for example in the iliad where you have hephaestus making achilles shield mm-hmm. and it's like inside the shield there is and this is like mind-blowing because it's stories within stories do you know what i'm talking about by the way with I that? Mean... okay so anyway can I just try to find it and we can like edit it later? <laughs> sure, <laughs> if you want to. It sounds, this is my favorite part of the Iliad. Okay, hold All on. right, I'm going to do a couple loud claps here so you can know where to cut this. Okay, so we're back on. Welcome back. Welcome back. Um, then we're reading from the Iliad. <laughs> so we got from the Gospel of John to the Iliad. Uh-huh. Uh, it's all connected, folks. Um, it's all connected. Yeah. <laughs> this is Iliad. Um, what chapter are we at? Whatever, it doesn't matter. Hephaestus is making Achilles new armor, I believe, or shield. It's going to start here. On it, he wrought in all their beauty two cities of mortal men. And there were marriages in one and festivals. They were leading the brides along the city from their maiden chambers under the flaring of torches. And a loud bride song was arising. The young men followed the circles of the dance. And among them, the flutes and lyres kept up their clamor. As in the meantime, the woman standing each at the door of her court admired them. The people were assembled in the marketplace where a quarrel had arisen and two men were disputing over the blood price for a man who had been killed. One man promised full restitution in a public statement, but the other refused and was except nothing. Both then made for an arbitrator to have a decision and the people were speaking up on either side to help both men, but the heralds kept the people in hand. As meanwhile, the elders were in session on benches of polished stones in the sacred circle and held in their hands the staves of the heralds who lift their voices. The two men rushed before these and took their turns and took turns speaking their cases. 
and between them lay on the ground two talents of gold to be given to that judge who in this case spoke the straightest opinion. So that's just the, and it goes on actually. <laughs> so it's like a universe like, within the shield. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, there is I something there too. I feel like about the blood price of Patroclus. I feel oh, like that's I'm referencing sure. Patroclus there. If I would had to just guess off the top there. Yeah. It's the Homer or whoever wrote this thing. They were at the, they, they stuck to the themes, mm-hmm. you know, like, even though they probably didn't think, think in those terms but well the blood price is patroclus right and then or it's discussing the death of patroclus and then the two men pleading their cases are achilles and oh yeah no uh, that's a great point i've never considered that genius all up here doc (laughs) (laughs) genius uh but and because uh you know hector is like can't we be reasonable and like blah 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 blah, and and and, uh achilles is like no i want you dead that's all i'm gonna settle for (laughs) yeah yeah blood for blood it's funny you think just in like popular culture, you kind of think Achilles is the hero. Um, no, yeah, but no, Hector yeah. is the he- Hector is the hero. He is like the more archetypal hero. Yeah, right? like like Achilles, like you kind of think he's like the man, like when you're a young kid. Oh or yeah. Something. Oh yeah. And then because you're like, oh, Achilles heel, you know, like Achilles, the greatest warrior of the Greeks. Like, what mm-hmm. what's not to love? And then you're like, wait a second, he caused like the whole problem of the Iliad. <laughs> well, he's um, the greatest hero of all time, right? <laughs> like that's he yeah. is the greatest hero in history of man greatest warrior which in their context meant hero like hero meant warrior that didn't mean good heroic or i guess that's our that's our modern christian post greek post heathen post pagan understanding of what a hero is is like self-sacrifice but in their world it wasn't self-sacrifice it was like who can kill most it was glory (laughs) it was the most glorious not like who is the one that was self-sacrifice and so it's funny like hector is more the hero in our sense of the word self-sacrificing yeah Yeah. but in the greek view he was probably like you love your woman more than battle you know (laughs) whatever you know yeah yeah i mean there's definitely a tension there right like there's a rising of the family and a lowering or like fighting back against that kind of like feminist because to make a family, you need to be civilized to some degree. Civilized, the civiliz- yeah. the civilizing, like, Hector, like there's domesticated. A, there's, uh, there's a point where Hector goes out to battle, and he's like talking to his wife, and he like with the baby's there, and he's uh-huh. like the baby like puts on the helmet or something, and is like, like oh it's a baby. <laughs> I forget the exact thing. That's yeah, like yeah. very cute and like yeah, you know what? Very like um, pathetic in the pathos, mm-hmm. you know, sense of the word. Yeah. I guess that's, I'm just trying to say that there's an embellishment that goes on. Um, okay. Sorry, but not, not to cut you off, but I, the, it is a little point of an argument here is okay. I'm saying that it was an oral tradition before the written word. You had to know like civilizations or cultures that were based around oral traditions. The oral tradition was more important and it was more structurally like maintained. Like in our civilization, we have this idea of like, oh, it was just told from one person to the next. It's not very reliable. But I'm not sure that that can be really applied to pre-written language cultures. Okay, so let's say that what you say is true, what your assumptions about oral traditions back in the day being reliable. If that's the case, with John John being written 70 years after the fact, John mm-hmm. would need, John would at least need, John would need, uh, hold on, hold on, just need other witnesses to like, hey, what did Jesus say that one time? It's like, oh yeah, it was this, right? And it's like, yep, oh, okay, okay, cool. 
you know, so there would need to be some kind of like. I would, I would buy that. I would buy that. But I mean, he was like one key witness, right? So say if it was even him and you had none of the other 12, right? Okay. He was starting a ministry. I'm assuming he had people around him, like he would have had sort of an entourage after that. Yeah. Yeah. And then those people would have been steeped in everything that he taught them. So they would have known it just as well as he did pretty much by the end. So in, then when it came time to write, if you had other people like scribe, you know, acting as his scribe or yeah, whatever, yeah. that makes sense. I'm totally willing to buy that. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. I think, I think, in but Homer is like similar that. to Homer. Homer wasn't literate. Someone wrote down his version of the poem. He didn't put pen to paper. Yeah. That's I forget story. his name, but what uh, his student did. Right. Cause Homer, it was a, apparently blind they mm-hmm. think they think i think the only evidence of that is that there are a lot of blind poets in mm-hmm. the iliad it um, just sort of is a sort of like um apocryphal story that he was blind you know yeah yeah exactly it kind um, of just fits <laughs> yeah the archetype of the the bard the blind bard it really is the archetype right <laughs> or just the, the just the thing that like the blind guy can see more things than has a different mm-hmm. perspective let's uh yeah yeah we that's a tangent <laughs> let's get back to john here <laughs> but we probably should be nearing wrap i don't know where we're at at least yeah, two yeah. hours do you want to maybe let's just talk about uh john nine real quick okay. um and then uh, we can wrap because i think that's the important part maybe we can talk about other things that we missed and if you're still listening if you're still sticking around just know that like thank you i really appreciate yeah. it just that if you find this interesting i you know i get why you would stick around um you know but uh i understand we don't have the most structure of most shows or whatever <laughs> but we're working on it with our goal is to develop more structure we're just we wanted to put something out we wanted to get together and do something yeah you know? yeah yeah if we put an emphasis on just doing this over structure for a little bit forgive us yeah but we you. appreciate it <laughs> thank you okay so john nine my favorite chapter in the whole bible wow <laughs> Lazarus. So no, he, no, 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 no. The blind, the blind, the blind man. man. Yes. So remember how we were talking about? We were talking about this like a week or two ago. How? So John nine three, Jesus's disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned this man oh, or his yes. parents that he was born blind, and that because they were passed by a guy who was blind for birth. But Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Mm-hmm. So, I understand that. I've been thinking about that for weeks ever since we were talking yeah, about it. Yeah. And I, I get it now. I, I think yeah. I get it now. And remember how we were like, well, does the sins of the father go on the children? Like, should people blame like an illegitimate child or be like, oh, you're a sin, like you're the sinner. And remember how we're talking about that? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I was thinking about after we talked, like, wait a second. Jesus took away all sin. Mm-hmm. This isn't even the conversation. <laughs> you know? Right. But we still believe that baptism is, is necessary for the cleansing of original sin. So there, there is something oh, there okay. where it's like yeah, the yeah. individual salvation of the person is still somewhat a factor. The way I read this, because uh-huh. I was confused. Remember, I was like, well, yeah. okay. people in medieval times still believed that if you were born deformed or whatever, yeah. That your parents must have sinned and this is their punishment for their sin or whatever. So obviously that wasn't a teaching that came out of the gospels into Christianity or, or it was just a hanger on of like folk 
belief or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But there wasn't anything that like outright said that wasn't true in the Bible. Otherwise, I think people would have stopped saying or believing it. But what I take this as in this situation, neither neither hath man this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Like he was blind, he was born blind so that Jesus could make him see eventually. Like the purpose yeah. of his blindness was simply to be made unblind. And I think later. it was yeah. But I think it was more, it's more like universal than that in the sense that the works of God should be revealed in platonically bl- blind people. Well, we're all blind, right? And that that's the sea. Yeah. That's that's the whole thing you were talking about, like without vision and, people you know, you, people, the people shall perish. And, and we're all blind to the, to the truth, born in sin because of, you know, the sin of Adam and Eve and original sin. So we're all born blind. I, I agree. I agree with what you're saying, that we're all born blind and that we should be made to see. Yeah. And that the works of God should reveal themselves. Mm-hmm. Because if we were made perfect there and then, you know, we're made perfect. There's no like glorification of God in our holiness necessarily. That reminds me of something I wanted to say just real quick is, and I was thinking about you and your kind of journey, spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I think this is true for a lot of people that it, when you're a kid and you go to church or whatever, you're kind of like, whatever, going through the motions, like you said, you didn't know who Jesus was until you're like 10 years old. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> literally. So I, I think this was sparked because I was learning about what C.S. Lewis when he was a, a boy, he had this the wrong idea of what Christianity was. Mm-hmm. First of all, because he was just a kid. Mm-hmm. Second of all, I guess that's a lot of the thing. Like you're just a kid, you know, mm-hmm. um, you don't really understand the full picture. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have to fall away from it. Right. Become, Unlearn the bad you habits. To, you have to like guard the eat the apple in a sense, because like Adam and Eve they didn't understand what good and evil were. They were kind of like mm-hmm. ignorant in a lot of ways. Yeah. And then deceived. they eat the apple and then they see what good and evil are or whatever. Like that's kind of you're you're in, in the desert. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I guess symbolically like Christ the Redeemer coming to earth would be kind of like uh, the revelation of what's actually true and important to mm-hmm. you. And, and like you're to bring it back to your story, you know, mm-hmm. you didn't have an idea what the church actually was mm-hmm. so you so you're like oh well i don't like the church i'm going to be an atheist mm-hmm. sci- scientismist mm-hmm. yeah literally <laughs> and then yeah. and then i'm going to come back realize that that's not true and then like understand the actual glory of the church mm-hmm. and like and seeing it in the full array of meaning yeah. that it has for you yeah. and for humanity yeah so that's what you're saying it's like my my return is like the the works of god were made manifest in me right yeah yeah and i think a lot Mm -hmm. of a lot of people who come to faith or come to spirituality or like you know understanding spiritual understanding do have that kind of like ego break Mm -hmm. in a way you know and i do find myself in a lot of situations i live in a pretty liberal city i won't say exactly where um (laughs) it you know non-christian tends to be you know the basis that a lot of people have I find myself a lot of times getting asked questions by non-Christians about Christianity. Because they're curious? They're curious. They want to understand why I would come back to it after having been in their mindset. Oh, okay. It it tends to be in good faith, I will say, because I don't attack them 
or anything. You know, I don't, uh-huh. I don't really like go after them and say, Oh, you're bad. You're sinner. Blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't like hellfire <laughs> yeah. them or whatever. I don't, yeah. I will barely bring it up, but yeah. people eventually like that. I come to know, will find out that I am Catholic or whatever. And then at some point, maybe they'll find out that I used to not be or whatever, but I've had like lots of conversations with different people. And I feel like without having been in their mindset before, I'm not sure I could explain it to them in a way that would make sense to them that I can now. Yeah. Okay. But I think it's a good, I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I'm not saying I'm like preaching or whatever or anything at all, but I, I don't know, maybe I'm being used in some slight way to nudge people. Cause I was nudged in slight ways by people too, you know, on my path back kind of makes me wonder sometimes, but I think yeah. that's what everyone is supposed to do. That is a Christian. There's, well, yeah. Evangelical, which means the good news are mm-hmm. right. Um, <laughs> like even, uh, evangelical. Because you e v I don't know why it's v but it's e u in Greek that means good uh-huh. like we were talking about before angelon is like message good message good news oh yeah which is the first thing that Jesus says I think mm-hmm. or no it, yeah it's like the gospel or good news of Jesus like in Mark it's like well and it's funny because I mean a lot of my like positions were still the same even when I was an atheist like I've always been against abortion even when I was in my materialistic, like atheist position. And uh, so I learned to argue it from a completely materialistic scientific position. So I'm able to do that (laughs) with people who are like, what, you know, and, and they think I'm going to come at them with a religious argument. And then I don't, (laughs) and then I will follow up with the religious argument, you know, Yeah. now, but I, I, I don't know. It's, it is sort of interesting. But I think that is applies not just to individual people, but also to peoples, like nations also. What does? Like that idea of like, neither hath this man sin nor that his parents, but that the works, that passage, that could a- oh, apply yeah. to the, it, the nation of Israel. Like, it's yeah. not like they were the most moral people or whatever, or it's not like they were the, like, it's not like God looked down on the world and said, oh, the Hebrews they're the most godly, you know, uh, yeah. it's almost like he picked them and was like, I, if I can make them profess my name, then that, that gl- multiplies the, the glorification of it. Yeah. In yeah. a way. Interesting. Okay. So moving on yeah. uh, from there, I guess we'll just tell the story. So basically he like puts spit and clay on the guy's eyes Mm-hmm. And says, go to the pool of Siloam, just translated scent. He goes to Siloam and washes his eyes, like Jesus says to do. And then, so he's like, oh, cool, I can see again. And of course, like, people are like, why can you see? Like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And so eventually he ends up before the Pharisees. So they call him before the Pharisees. And this is um, 917. Mm-hmm. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. He said, he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him, blah, blah, blah. So the parents basically confirmed. No, they said uh, they're like, well, it is her son, but uh, we don't know how he was. He he can see now where I meant like they confirmed that he was truly blind. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So they confirmed that they called the guy again and said they said to him, give God the glory. We know this man is a sinner. He answered and said. Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. This is uh, John 20, 9.25. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And that's another thing with irony. 
that last line, do you also want to become his disciples? He's mocking them. And mm-hmm. the reason it, it's more like, like that's, I think it should be translated more like, because uh, I've looked at the Greek and it, it should be more like, you don't want to become his disciples, do you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is like totally right. like rude. Right. Um, but like, you know, like he's been pastored. So it's like, it's understandable mm-hmm. that he would, he would be like that. Right. Um, so they reviled him and said, you are his disciple. We are Moses' disciples. Uh, we know that God spoke to Moses. We don't know where this guy is from. And he said, and this is like my favorite part, I think. The man answered and said to them, why? This is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from. Yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins. And are you teaching us? And they cast him out. <laughs> anyway, Jesus is basically like, finds them again. It says, do you believe in the son of God? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I believe in him? And he's basically like, I am the son of God. <laughs> but <not> mm-hmm. right. um, <laughs> Jesus said for judgment. Oh, and then he said, Lord, I believe. Something I noticed in Brown's commentary on this chapter was that the Pharisees and the man kind of start from a neutral position with regards to Jesus or like with regards to like understanding each other. Mm-hmm. And then the guy who was made blunt, who was made to see says he is a prophet to start out. And then he slowly comes to the understanding, not slowly, but like eventually comes to the understanding of that Jesus is not a prophet, but the son of God. Mm-hmm. While the Pharisees descend into becoming blind. Right. So they start out from a neutral position, like, oh, how'd this happen? It's like a reversal. It's a reversal, yeah. And Jesus makes that point, just to hammer it home at the very end. And Jesus said, verse 39, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Yep. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. Such a tight chapter. Mm-hmm. It. <laughs> yeah. What do you think that, what do you think that means there? I think it's like, if, 41. You, if you were blind, if you kind of accepted that you didn't know, like, let's just bring it back to your personal story. Like if you were in your, because I think throughout your life, you have been, honestly like try to figure things out and like Mm -hmm. seeking the truth yeah Yeah. seeking the truth and like i would say now now you would call yourself as an your atheist self blind yes right but i feel like even when when you were an atheist you're like yeah i don't know anything in a way you know like right like Like plato like plato or socrates Socrates. yeah yeah. (laughs) so exactly yeah yeah so I think when he's saying, if you were blind, you would have no sin. That's kind of like Socrates saying, um, the only thing I know is that I know nothing. Know nothing. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then, but saying we see, even though you know nothing is, and this really relates back to Greek, Greek uh, philosophy mm-hmm. yeah. is, is like all the people Socrates talked to. Yeah. Who, who were like, oh yeah, I know the gods exist. Like totally. Uh-huh. Like hundred percent. And then he's like, well, but how do you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And they're like, well, shut up. <laughs> um, sort of the hubristic nature. Yeah, yeah. So I think 
I think, and that's why sin remains is you think you know what you don't. Mm -hmm. I think that that's my interpretation of that. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Definitely. Um, verily, verily, I say unto you. <laughs> <laughs> he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way. <laughs> well, Will, do you have anything you want to get to? You want to closing thoughts or things you want to touch on before we wrap? Yeah, I think another thing. Oh, the dog has awakened over here. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, uh, Cerberus awakens. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. The gates of hell. The gates of hell. Seek ye not, ye, <laughs> ye life, lively ones, to enter beyond these gates, beyond the maws of this beast. <laughs> what, what is that? I just made it up. Oh, yeah. Oh. Wow. <laughs> like, like Dante. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think what struck me about John is it's very, like I said, Jesus is up here in the platonic realm, like with access to it. And then you have like, us trying to imitate him mm -hmm. in a way on multiple levels. Yeah. But then there's like, so I think in that sense that you're lower than Jesus trying to imitate him, like every man, every woman is trying to do that. Every person. If you, maybe this is just like a fruitless interpretation. But when I first read John, I really thought this way that like, it is the story of a man, of a person in the world that like you come into the world it's kind of unclear what your mission is, but like God knows it. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a sense of where you're from and like, like the main questions, like where, where are we from? Where are we going? Um, who are we? The existential questions. The existential questions. It's really like, I think, I think you could, maybe it would be fruitful to, we could reflect almost like copy Jesus in a way. But like throughout her whole life. So like the, the the span of John, of the Gospel of John, you could compare that to the framework of your life in a way. As it's like, you know, we all have a mission. We all come into the world for a reason. We all try to say who we are and people don't believe us. And one of the purposes of life is to make people believe you and to love everyone and... Um, Self-actualize. And yeah, actualize yourself and many other lessons that are in John. <laughs> oh, yeah. About in another, <laughs> another yeah, time. Um, but definitely. I just wanted to share that because I don't know. It's just such a mystery to me, you know, that mm -hmm. it could be so structurally similar to everyone's life mm -hmm. and everyone seeking a meaning and archetypical. Uh, well, maybe that's because it's, um, you know, divinely inspired <laughs> and it obviously is. And every fiber of your being recognizes that, but you <laughs> logically just refuse to admit it. <laughs> You'll see it. You'll see it. No, I'm joking. I'm joking, but I'm not. Uh, but Jesus know, is the blueprint. You have to. You, I know you have to say that. <laughs> right. Yeah, I have to for your benefit. That's me being charitable. <laughs> Agape. Agape. Love you. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, Jesus is the blueprint, right? For every man. Uh-huh. So okay, that's yeah. that is, uh, that's definitely a, a logical takeaway for sure. Anything you want to say? Well, you know, I just was reading this again and then listening to that audio version of it and going through it. And uh, as you get older, I, I, I think that's just a true thing, truism about everything. As you get older, things make more sense or they hit harder or I don't know what it is. You have more lived experience. So you relate to things more on a human level. Yeah. 
every story in here was just like hitting me like right in the <laughs> like just I was emotionally connecting with it in a way I never really had in previous readings. So I don't know. I just felt really inspired to I need to make a serious study of the Gospels again at this yeah. time. Of my, like just at this crossroads of my life, I need to in the next like few months, I definitely need to dedicate myself to that. That's awesome. Yeah. It's just something I'm like, I need to do. Like I have to, like, it's just like, I just have to, because I, I don't know. I feel like I was missing that like emotional connection before. Um, wow. wow. I was more just like reading things in like a, I don't know, historical sense. I don't know how to explain yeah. it. Like so many, there's so many parts where I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, and I like, was like, I need to like be taking notes. So I'm doing this or I'm not going to remember every like thought yeah. that I had. And I didn't, I didn't remember any of that. <laughs> <laughs> For the most part, I didn't remember any of the things that I like wanted to bring up because I didn't take notes because there were so many of those moments when I was going yeah. through this. Yeah, I, I almost don't have anything to say because I feel like I need to study more before I speak. <laughs> you know, like it's so it's so dense and complex. Go read your Bible, people, if you have one. <laughs> and if you don't go get one. Yeah, or go to the Bible uh, Hub. You can read it for free. Yeah, you read it online. Like um, every version that's ever been written. <laughs> every version that's ever been written. Yeah. I mean, I'm a Catholic. I bought a Dwey Reams, Dewey Reams. I don't know exactly how it's pronounced. Dwey Wong in the French. Dwey Wong in the French. But that was written in the 1500s, late 1500s, early 1600s. It was like kind of a done in two parts. And then the KGV, I want to say, was pretty much done along that same timeline. Sixteen fifteen or something. Um, after King James became president of the United yeah. Kingdom. <laughs> he was elected <laughs> um the House of Representatives. I'm uh, yeah. <laughs> but um uh I have recently last Christmas I asked my grandma to get me a copy of KGV and she did. And I am enjoying oh. that as well. So yeah, I don't know. That's There's great. something to be said for having different versions that you can oh, yeah. reference. Yeah. But the KGV is the version that most Americans know. If you're gonna see a, a scripture a scripture somewhere yeah. in a little printed somewhere like a whatever an infographic meme or whatever it's going to be kgb nine yeah. times out of ten so it's yeah. good it's a good reference but yeah i don't know it's powerful like everything in the bible you know yeah. yeah um but yeah i just i need to i need to do more studying that's what i have to say yeah always yeah all right man this has been a great time yeah I've definitely definitely like i'm surprised we were able to go this long um, <laughs> me honestly, too like I didn't like I prepared a lot like maybe a week or two ago and then I just didn't at all because <laughs> right. I felt I felt fairly confident because I've read this like a million trillion times and yeah. <laughs> like as long as you know the story it's you could talk about it um, yeah I hope uh you found this informative whatever your persuasion religious persuasion is yeah um yeah I think it should uh, yeah. be able to be appreciated by anybody of any religion yeah for sure and then next time, probably going to talk about the Book of Glory. So mm -hmm. like chapters 13, and we'll probably go back to the other things that we missed this time. I do think it's funny that uh, we're probably, I would bet this podcast is probably the most scripture you're getting that isn't a, uh, <laughs> that isn't an actual <laughs> Christian podcast. Like, with the, I mean, I'm a Christian, Will's not quite uh yet but he will uh but uh you know uh but where this isn't like an uh like an avowed uh ministry podcast or anything like that no. i do think it's kind of funny that this is probably the most scripture you're going to get out of a a non uh what's the word i'm looking for or, or just like a non <laughs> like this isn't a religious podcast so i, I don't know i just find that kind of funny because you know the, we're just talking about everything so yeah. <laughs> Come here for your hint of scripture if you're not getting anywhere else. 
Yeah, read the second half of John. Read read all of John before mm-hmm. we come forward next time. Definitely. It's a great book. It's my favorite book. <laughs> so one of my that's favorite awesome. books ever. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Thank you. Um, Thanks you for listening. That. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.